Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm smelling your, um, your coffee. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's, uh, look, we're back in the same room. I know we have been on and off. Yeah. Uh, since May. Is that when we started being back in the I same room? I want to say that, yes. Because I know that's when I was fully vaxxed. Mm-hmm. All vaxxed up. And no place and nowhere to go. To go. <laughs> yeah, that's actually kind of true. <laughs> uh, now it is. Yeah, uh, and it's not true. I'm, 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 I'm out going there. out, but like it's uh, that, it was just so depressing. Like how we had that taste of like things are opening back up, and I know. then they just got like, slammed shut on us again. Um, but I'm doing doing okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, generally um, doing all right. I'll tell you what I. Uh, we all spent a lot of time over the past year and a half watching things in streaming format because mm-hmm. we couldn't go to the movies. Um, I don't know if you heard about what Patty Jenkins say about, said about uh, the director of, uh, of Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, I did not see okay. what she said. She said, uh, I'm going to quote from the tweet here. Um, uh all of the films that streaming services are putting out, I'm sorry, they look like fake movies to me. I don't hear about them. I don't read them. It's not working as a model for establishing legendary greatness. As you can imagine, this sparked a lot of contention on, on Twitter and a lot of support. And I want to I start by parsing what she's saying. Now, for the record, this could be an entire episode. Uh, yeah, it probably should be. Maybe this is a trial run. But... Um, so when she says, I'm sorry, they look like fake movies to me, I don't think she's saying what, like, how I feel about, like, the way the MCU movies all look kind of, like, sure, liquid and samey and, like, uh, non-tangible and, and, and things <laughs> like that. I think she means, like, when you see the name of them or you see the one sheet or whatever sure. that looks like an advertisement for a fake movie. Cause then, mm. cause what she goes on to say is I don't hear about them. I don't read about them. It's not working as a model for establishing le- legendary greatness. So I don't think, and tell me if you heard, heard it a different way. I don't think she's actually talking about the quality of the films. I don't think she's saying there aren't good films on streaming services. Right. I think she's decrying the way that streaming services make movies seem disposable they they they, they're fleeting i think that is that is what i got okay from that uh especially when seen in the context of the full uh, of the full thing yeah uh it's not a way to what what is it something about legendary greatness yeah it's not uh hold on i still got it here uh it's not working as a model for establishing legendary greatness yeah for establishing legendary greatness. And I think as opposed to creating legendary greatness, it, I don't think she's saying that these movies are subpar. It's more that the delivery system is, is actually uh, detracting from the experience. And the filmgoers experience of a movie is a big part of what make, what can make a movie legendary. Uh, and because people are like, Oh my gosh, just being in the theater and seeing it's so big as opposed to like, yeah, I threw it on at home. Uh, in between episodes of Family Guy, yeah, I uh, this really made. It made I'm not sure me, if I agree with her, uh, but I, I I think that's what she's saying. The thing is, very painfully, I do have to say that I think I do agree with her, and it took me all day to kind of get to that place because I feel like sometimes there's when you feel very very strong, very strong, strongly, even when you're presented with evidence 
to the contrary, it, it's not so easy to change your mind. Sure. So I've always been very pro streaming because of, uh, because of the access, mm-hmm. the idea that people who wouldn't have been able to otherwise see certain movies now are able to. That's and, I've always like, and people projects are getting green lit that wouldn't have previously. Yes. Um, and so th- that's something I've always, um, uh, heralded as, as one of the, uh, the good things about, about the proliferation of this model. But I can't deny that she's right. That when movies only exist on streaming, they don't seem to get a foothold in, in, in the culture. There's yeah. a reason that before, you know, during award season, when Netflix has movies or Amazon has movies, they want to win awards. They put them in theaters first Yeah, because that still means something. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I can't deny that she's right. I wonder if there's anything to be done about it. I mean, it's because we're still in the middle of, of things. The idea of a movie being released in theaters and on streaming is still going on. I, I do wonder if eventually some studios will and streaming services like in a, in a situation like Disney where it's the same thing. Uh, I wonder if they'll ever go back to the previous model and maybe just not have, maybe just not have quite such, such a large gap in between a theatrical release and a, and a streaming release. Well, that gap has been closing. Yeah. I mean, think about when, when you and I were kids, like if you didn't see Jurassic park in the movie theater, you had to wait the better part of a year. Yeah. Oh, and then when it was released on VHS, like that was a big yeah. event. Like you yeah. saw, you saw commercials for the VHS right. release. Yeah. It was a, it was huge. Yeah. Now, if you miss a movie in a theater, it's like I give it six weeks or whatever. It'll be on on Amazon. But anyway, this is yeah. getting into like things were better when whatever. I don't yeah. like that. Um, it's, but you I, know what? It's not that things were better. It's that. Going to a movie, just a movie, one way or another, was an event, and it could, in any in every capacity, seeing in the theater was an event. It coming out for home vi- on home video was an event. The Sunday night movie on ABC or whatever right, yeah. it was, it was an event. Like the world television premiere of such and such a thing, yeah. that was an event. And I think streaming, it just it it flattens everything that even a great movie doesn't, it it could be special and it can really resonate with you and it might stay with people. But the fact of viewing it is not an event. It's just another thing. You could just as easily have watched this as that. And so I do agree that it's not a way to establish legendary greatness. And to go back to your original question, certainly it's for people. uh, It's, it's beyond my pay grade as far as like, if there's anything to be done about it, because when it comes right down to it, if there is a benefit, a benefit financially to something being in the theater exclusively, then they'll do that. But if there's a, if there's less benefit and people are more inclined to subscribe to a streaming service because it's going to be there, then that's what studios will do. Um, cause now we're getting into the business side of things, which I can only speculate on mm-hmm. often rather cynically and dejectedly. Uh, yeah, two things. I wonder if establishing leg- legendary greatness in cinema is something we can even do anymore because sure. the importance of cinema has fallen, as we've talked about, and people's relationship to 
content essentially. Like I hate mm-hmm. to reduce it to that, but that, that's the issue is that people expect to be able to access content all the time. So that yeah. I, we, our, our discussion just now about like that window between when things have come out and reminded me of something, uh, before like HBO, well now it's HBO Max, but it was HBO Now and HBO Go. Before mm-hmm. all that, HBO was still as recently as like nine or ten years ago, still like having this model of like things will air, our series, our original series will air, we'll air them a few times each episode, or a few times during the week, and then until the Blu-ray comes out or the DVD or Blu-ray comes yeah. out, there's no way to find it. I remember reading. Uh, uh, it was on Twitter. It like got passed around. Someone wrote it in the, it was an argument, but it was written in the form of like a comic strip that was basically saying like, I don't feel any guilt about torrenting game season one of game of Thrones because it's not, there's no other way for me to get it. Right. People feel like they, they deserve that they're yes. entitled to access to this thing. Then they, and I think, I mean, that's kind of what there's something to that. This is kind of how iTunes, uh, the, the paid off is that like Napster was like oh my, oh my god Napster's the end of the recording industry and, yeah. and Apple was like well maybe if we give people a way to do this legally they will do it legally <laughs> like maybe yeah. it's not it's not the illegality of Napster that's uh, that's the uh, draw it's the uh, convenience and so access to art has become convenient I don't know if there's any other way there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube <laughs> as far as that goes. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. But the other side of me says, well, maybe we just need to wait for society to catch up. Maybe right now people are treating streaming only movies as fleeting or disposable or ephemeral or all these things that I've, that I've said, uh, because they're still used to the theatrical model. Maybe if the, theat- if the streaming only model is around long enough, then, audiences and and the culture will just sort of adjust and then legendary greatness will be established in the streaming world. That's a more optimistic take. Admittedly, there, there are shows, uh, and occasionally movies, but it's usually shows like on Netflix that people anticipate like the next season of stranger things is an event to the degree that anything can be an event on a streaming service. That is an event. I remember years ago, uh, Jen's brother was in town and we all went to go, we went to a bar to watch the Super Bowl. And one of the commercials for the Super Bowl was an ad for like the next season of Stranger Things. The whole bar cheered. <laughs> like they were really wow. excited about Stranger Things. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is. I thought this was like a really niche nerd show for people who like eighties horror. I was like, Oh no, it's clearly bigger than that. There aren't that many shows like that, but that was definitely, but still you're talking about television, which has always been something you watch at home. So that's, I think that's different than what Patty Jenkins is, is arguing that it's movies that are getting, getting the, taking the hit because right. You know, you know, you say, yeah, part of it is, yeah, you're no longer getting the theatrical presentation, but also part of it is that, like, and I find myself coming out of the pandemic in a year and a half, and we're not coming out of the pandemic, it's right. still going on, but you know what I mean, getting to go back to movies occasionally has made me say, like, maybe I was wrong to be so dismissive because 
sometimes it's not just about I'm going to see a movie on a big screen. It's also about like this movie's happening at this time. I have to plan a portion of my day around it. I have yeah. to account for travel to and from the theater. Like it's not just that the movie is bigger and louder. It's that it takes up. It literally takes up more time in your life when you have to go uh, see a movie in that. So you get the, when you watch things at home and I'm guilty of this pre pandemic, I was guilty of this every award season. There'd be like, Oh, Warner brothers has all their like yeah. award screenings that I could, uh, uh, sign up to go, to go see, but it's like, Oh, but also they just like, they sent me yeah. the movie in the mail. Maybe I'll just watch it at home. And like, so I, I was guilty of that. Cause it's like, I can get more done in a day. I can watch, you know, I can watch three billboards in shape and shape of water in one afternoon instead of having to pick one or another, the other one watching at home. But the trade off is that the movies by taking up less time also seem to have less import. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is investment. You are investing your time, your, uh, space because you're literally leaving your house Mm -hmm. to go somewhere, uh, and navigate traffic, navigate all these things. Uh, in, in my case, uh, having like, if Jen and I both want to go out, like we have to have someone be here to take care of the kids. So like you're investing a lot in going to do this thing and then you're investing your time in the film and then your money. And so there is this feeling of like going back to this, this concept of an event and like with, with a streaming service, you, you'll be investing your time in the movie, but you're, but you're really just investing in the service. And I think maybe that's Hmm. the, that's the situation is it's hard for the services themselves. All they're ever really doing is selling them. You know, Netflix is selling Netflix. It might, it might try to sell the Irishman as a way of selling Netflix, but only that. Whereas I think going to see a movie uh, and I'm speaking very uh, idealistically, but like going to see a movie like the movie has to sell itself and that's Mm. what you're going to see. You're not going like I'm not I may be seeing it in AMC theater, but I don't give a shit if it's an AMC theater or not. I'm going to see the movie that that I want to see Uh, something you just said. We should really move on to the main topic, but you just said something that made me think of something else about what Patty Jenkins said, which is the word establishing legendary greatness. Cause you talked mm-hmm. about the Irishman, the other on, on Twitter, another, uh, like counter argument I heard was like, well, what about small acts? But like Martin Scorsese, Steve McQueen, these are already names. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone who is making their name directing movies that are going straight to, 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 to streaming or, or are the only streaming movies that become events those where it's like, oh, there's a new Steven Soderbergh movie on HBO Max. Sure. Or, or there's a new Spike Lee movie on Netflix. Uh, is there anyone who is like making their name as a filmmaker solely in the streaming I can't world? think of uh, anyone. Off the top of my head, I, I can't yeah. think of, it, of anyone. Uh, all right. Um, this was a fun discussion. Like you, like you said, this could absolutely be uh, a whole ass episode someday. Um, but first, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, I'm sure everyone is expecting me in this segment when I talk about what I'm listening to. Everyone's expecting me to talk about Donda, the new <laughs> Kanye West album. It's all that anyone's talking about. It was 
for months leading up to it, it was all I wanted to talk about. Yes, I have listened to Donda. And yes, I have many, many thoughts on Donda. But no one cares um, about what I think. So I imagine people care way more about this than any other music thing you've said during the tweaked ads. <laughs> so the one time they actually want to hear what you have All right, to say. Maybe you've talked me into it. I was, okay, I was going to also use this ad. I'll stump for a, a black metal band called Ohava, O-L-H-A-V-A. Um, they've got a new album out. Uh, it is called Frozen Bloom. It's actually came out earlier in the year, but uh, it's very good. But okay, I'll talk about Donda. First off, Let's address the elephant in the room. The album is 108 minutes long. <laughs> oh, wow. It's 108 minutes long. I listened to it three times in one day. That is nearly five and a half hours of my day while I was working. Okay. But I just wanted to sit with it. Um, and I'm not going to be in the camp that's like, this thing's an unmitigated disaster. I'm also not going to be in the small but very vocal camp of this thing's a masterpiece. It's it's somewhere in between. Definitely it's a hurdle that is 108 minutes long. It feels like, um, you know when you read those uh, those awful like clickbait things, like, did you know the original cut of whatever movie was oh, sure. three and a half hours? It's like, yeah, that's it's the, the assembly cut. Sometimes Donda feels like you're listening to an assembly cut of an album. Yeah. There are literally four songs where there are just two different versions of the song on the same album. This isn't like the deluxe edition where it's like oh you get to hear this alternate he just like couldn't decide between two verses of the song and put them both on the same album um four times he did that Uh, and one of those songs is 11 minutes long um so uh uh, also the other joke is his last two albums were both under half an hour so it's like he he had rollover minutes (laughs) yeah (laughs) um what I actually want to say about the the album is that I've talked on multiple ways, well, usually about movies because we talk on this podcast, but I've talked before about like the number one thing that I look for. If I could boil everything I'm looking for in art down to one thing, that thing is honesty, not mm. necessarily verisimilitude or anything or realism or whatever. But I mean, I don't want to feel like I'm listening or watching or whatever, listening to someone reverse engineering a goal like they're self-consciously trying to get to a certain place i want to feel like they're making something that they believe in that they feel honestly that represents what's going on and for better or worse you're always going to get that with kanye west that he like this is like every album is a snapshot of his mind in this in this moment and um i so i can't i i could rag all day about how a lot of not only is Donda an hour, 108 minutes long, there's also a certain sameness to a lot of the production. Hmm. So it feels long. It feels non-dynamic, but it's not derivative in, in, in any way. It's not self-conscious. Um, I, it's a really fascinating, messy, indulgent as he often is. Um, it's sometimes very sad, sometimes very embarrassing, which is something that, weirdly is a hallmark of great art sometimes sure. that's sort of like you think about like um in the airplane over the sea over the sea the neutral milk hotel album like there's stuff he says on that that it's like dude like that's like it's it's like cringy to use yeah. uh uh millennial speak i guess um 
Uh, and there's there's plenty of things as there often are on Kanye West albums uh, on Donda that 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 made me go like ooh. But uh, uh, I, I I still uh, Kanye West has not lost the fact that he's an artist. He hasn't like you know. Um, Sick Boy and Train Spotting has that whole theory about like yeah. when you're a great artists, you have it and then you lose it and then it's gone forever. I don't think like Donda is not peak Kanye West, but I don't think he's at I don't think he's lost touch with his yeah. muse or his genius or whatever. He's just in I think admittedly a very, very dark place and has been for a while. And that's yeah. like something something Natalie was saying, she was like, I don't want to listen to it because I feel like he's very publicly mentally unwell and we shouldn't be indulging it maybe Uh, i don't necessarily agree with her but like that's 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 her 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 point of view that that like we should we should be more worried about like is this guy gonna be okay than like how does this album stack up to jesus is king or whatever oh see and that's so interesting because i think and i imagine you're probably the same way part of me is like not out of morbid fascination, but part of me is like, this is how he is working. This is probably how he's working through his unwellness. And that'll be more interesting, but also. Yeah. It also almost be how almost, he's not working through it. Though, I think is part of the problem. Yeah, that is true. Yes. Um, but for me, uh, it's so interesting that you say that honesty is what you're looking for. I think that's probably my answer as well. Uh, when I, when I've been asked like what my, the, the thing that bothers me the most about Christian film, my answer is dishonesty. Yeah, it, it is. They have a goal and they work backwards from there. Meanwhile, it's just like, look, even in the most cloistered Christian community, this is not the life you've experienced. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, this is a much this is a scrubbed version based on the audience you're going for. It has nothing to do. It has very little in common with what you've actually experienced. Um, <clears throat> but along those lines, I do. I get what you're saying, like some people can use can use their art to sidestep what they're dealing with and other people just use it to steer right into it. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, yes, of course, you can look at it critically and you can say, like, how does this fit into their larger thing? Or you can be like if this is what you feel like you need to do to work through these things, I'm right there with you. Ideally you'll be doing this as well as seeking therapy. Uh, but a, it can be very therapeutic, not merely for the, the, the artist, but also for, um, for the audience member, because you can feel, you know, when you're, when you're like really in the thick of it, you feel alone and you feel like no one knows what this is like. And then sometimes an artist comes along and says, well, at the very least I know what it's like. And in that moment you feel connected with sort of the whole of humanity and you mm-hmm. realize that you don't feel quite so alone. And so that's what, that's a good thing that can come from it. But I do yeah. agree. It can also be like, like, well, I'll write this song instead of going to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned Christianity. Kanye West is still a Christian. That mm. uh, uh, Donda isn't as thoroughly about that as Jesus is King was, but it still it still comes up in weird ways. Uh, sure. uh, often one of those ways being that the only version of the album you can listen to is the edited clean version. Like he, Kanye himself doesn't 
cuss very much uh, on the album, but some of the there are many like guest you know features, guest rappers and stuff. They do, and it's all like drops out like there's no you, you don't hear any cuss words on the album and there's no like explicit version out there to to be listened yeah, that to that bothers me <laughs> that really bothers me um anyway uh all that is to say it sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, I'm going to let you... Uh, I, well, yeah, I feel like our topic is now is infinitely less interesting than the last two things we've just talked about. Um, um, yeah, well, then we can make it fast. That's true. There are places to go tonight. Uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> or things to do, at least. Um, so... You came up with this topic, but I'm going to introduce it, I think, because, or at least I'm going to start the introduction. Okay. Uh, because I think I came up with the the pithy name for it. Which I'm still, I'm a little on the fence about because I feel oh, like okay. either one could work. Well, see, because you, you were talking about, you were using, the, when we were discussing this idea, and you, which you came up with, uh, which you invented, um, you... Uh, referred to flavor of the month for like an actor who like suddenly shows up every like in a bunch of things yeah. and gets a bunch of attention yeah. and gets awards and stuff but then you were also specifically saying saying in your description in the over in our text conversation that they that then they just become part of yeah they don't go away yeah so that to me that, just that get used that's to why it. i was like flavor of the month might be the wrong term to use okay. because the the term flavor of the month implies an obsolescence after that month is is over sure. and that's not what you were describing so i described it as having like a debutante like a coming out party sure <laughs> like sure. someone and often as well when i when we talk about examples these aren't necessarily people who are brand new these mm-hmm. sometimes these are people who have been in movies for a while absolutely and then suddenly the industry or just the film world yeah. says like we believe in you. We want to see a bunch of you and they show up in everything for four years. And then they're just like, okay, you're established now. Yeah. And, and yeah, this is actually something, this is a topic I've been thinking about for years in, in different capacities. It starts for me with the Oscars. Oh, yeah, that's like, actually kind of what I, what I did too. I looked at like, looked at Oscars. for example, the last time Russell Crowe was nominated for an Oscar was 20 years ago. Yeah. He had been nominated three times in a row. Yeah. I, I and, he, exactly and he won Gladi and he won his second time. Um, you will off and he'd been in films, you know, he'd been in Australian films for a while. And then he kind of came onto the, the American scene with, to a certain extent, virtuosity, but much more LA confidential. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then the insider comes along and gets his first nomination and then gladiator makes him a star. 
And he doesn't stop being a star for a while. He's in Master and Commander. He's in Proof of Life. He's in Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man and uh, Master and Commander are like Oscar caliber movies. Cinderella Man wasn't nominated, but uh, at least not for picture. But he wasn't nominated, and he hasn't been for a long time. And this is something that that happens a fair amount. Uh, An actor that has been around a little while, you know, probably five to ten years, suddenly just is in just the right role... And maybe, and they'll get some critical praise for it. Maybe the film itself is successful. Um, sometimes they'll get some awards praise, and then there's then there's talk of another Oscar nomination, maybe a win, and then we all just sort of get accustomed to this person. Yeah. And so I think of it, I think of it first with Oscars, but it's not only that. Yeah. Um. um. And so I remember you, when I was texting you about this, you said, like, can you give an example? And I, and I talked about the, the, the broad uh, concept and you said, give me an example. And I said, Jude Law. And you immediately said, like, I got it. Because <laughs> that's, that's where, where my mind went to. And I think it's just because of our age that we, yeah. we were, like, sort of young cinephiles going to the movies a lot at the time when Jude Law went through this period where he was just yeah. in everything. He was in six movies a year. Oh, yeah. It's, and... And it's an interesting thing. Like he'd been in a number of movies in the nineties, got his first nomination in 99 for the talented Mr. Ripley. And then that led to a few other supporting roles, supporting role in road to perdition, supporting role in AI. Uh, then he got his other Oscar nomination for cold mountain in 2003 and three and four is when he really blew up and he was in Everything. I think four especially. He was in Alfie. He was in Closer. He was in, and I oh, can't you even. Can you run down the, his 2004? Yeah, please do. Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, I Heart Huckabees, Alfie, Closer, The Aviator, and A Series of Unfortunate Events. Yeah. The last one is a vo- vocal-only performance, but still, yeah. that's six movies in one In one year. Yeah. And granted, he's not the lead in all of them. Uh, in fact, most of them are ensemble uh, films. But, uh, but yeah, like, he broke out in... Uh, in the early 2000s and can and you know continued to be like somebody that that people recognize and would be the uh, lead actor in various movies and then we everyone just kind of got used to him he hasn't been nominated i don't mean to put it solely in terms of the oscars but that does tend to be kind of an interesting barometer uh he hasn't been nominated in 18 years he was nominated in 99 2003 and then it's just like okay we got it He's and it's almost like the Oscars themselves are saying like, okay, we uh, he's not going to throw us any more curveballs. We know what to expect, and maybe when he's a much older person and gives a very specific kind of character performance, maybe we'll nominate him for supporting actor. Uh, but for the most part, we know what you can do, and we've moved on. We you're a part of you're a part of the establishment now, and that's great. Yeah. Um, and so I have several other examples, almost well, all from that time period. Yeah. where I was paying attention because of yeah. where I, I was. I, I intentionally tried to look up some older ones to yeah. see who went through this the, this sort of period. Um, but it's funny you mentioned Cold Mountain because I think Renee Zellweger is kind of... Sure. Had her same moment. Like, Jeremy Maguire is obviously big for her as the, and that's a... Uh, I guess it's that's a large supporting role or would you call it a co-lead? It's a large supporting role, right? It's, I, uh, I, I, you can go either way with it, okay. I think. Um but then, yeah, once she really got into actual, like, 
lead roles. Yeah. Which is like Bridget Jones Diary. Yeah. Um, which she was nominated for, which I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that either. Um, and she won for Cold Mountain. Uh, well, yeah, that, so that's it. So, okay. Um, I'm looking at, so yeah, there's like, yeah, in the late 90s, she's got Jerry Maguire. Uh, then she's got like another, The Bachelor. She was the lead, the, uh, I never saw it, but. Um, Is that with Chris O'Donnell? Yeah. Okay. Um, I never saw it, but that's, uh, she's again, the female lead in a male driven romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nurse Betty, me, myself, and Irene. So she's this like. Yeah. Rom com. Um, nothing there's but it's wrong you know what I mean uh, and then Bridget Jones Diary is a lead role yeah then she gets Chicago and right. then Cold Mountain which yeah she, you said she won for which is like hey I can do this serious thing too and then this is where we get to the point where the industry was just like okay we know you're in we know all there is yeah. to know about you and then like again that's the last time uh, oh no she was uh, until Judy I mean yeah and yeah uh, and then like there is this long stretch and now in her case she was in a few other things, but she she kind of went away for a while, um, and then had this sort of triumphant return with Is that with true? Judy. Okay, I think that I mean sorry when I say went away, I mean like she was not the high profile. She didn't have right. the same profile because sometimes she did I, at the time to go back to our pre <laughs> our opening discussion with there being just so many options all the time that sometimes I'll look, I'll be like, wow, I haven't seen such and such an actor in anything in eight years. And yeah. I look at them, it's like, oh, they're working like crazy. It's just, I can't watch everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it used to be that like, there'd be, it'd be like, what, what are, they, what have they been up to? And it's like, oh, TV, they have a very successful TV show. But yeah. some, but these days because of streaming, it's like, no, they've been in a number of movies that yeah. are available on various streaming services. Um, yeah. And so, <clears throat> So this is not a, a reflection on the performers themselves. Again, these are not people that fade away. It's just, you know, look, I, I know that the, uh, you know, perennial it boy is Joe Alwyn. Uh, is that what it boy? Yeah, it boy Joe yeah, Alwyn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that. Uh, that's not going away anytime soon. But uh, it, it is one of those things that, like, you will see. It, it happens a lot with younger actors. Uh it's rare for it to happen with somebody like over 50. Um, yeah, but you know, and, and by younger actors, it could be somebody in their thirties, um, who'd been, who've, you know, they've been doing stuff in their twenties, but it tends to happen with, with actors like in their mid twenties. And it's just like, Oh, who is this? And it's to the point now where you can start to see, I can, I can recognize it. I think honestly, I think Timothy Chalamet is there now. Okay. It's like, he's, he'd been in a few, he'd been in a number of things and people are like, like oh and, and people often say like oh that's what was it uh miss not miss sloan uh oh, uh miss turner i don't remember you're the one that saw stevens miss stevens yes. that's the one uh and it's i remember my, my top 10 list that year and i remember you pointed out that the movie itself was very good but he especially like really stuck out to you um and then obviously call me by your name comes along. He gets his, he gets an Oscar nomination. There was a lot of talk of him getting nominated for supporting actor for beautiful boy. It, that didn't happen, but now it's like, okay, now he, and he, yeah, and he turns showed out the up. movie's bad. Sometimes, sometimes all the buzz in the world can't oh, yeah. stop a movie from being bad. I remember. Um, and again, there, th- sometimes there's like buzz and it doesn't happen. But I remember, uh, in the early two thousands, 
who's this Hayden Christensen guy? He'd been in a few things and yeah. he's going to play Anakin Skywalker. There was a lot of buzz. He was up for a golden globe for my, for life as a house. Uh, they thought he might get nominated for supporting actor. He didn't, but it's just like, Oh, it's this up and coming guy. And he is the face of these, of these star Wars prequels. Like we better jump on that. But I think that's an instance where his, his like, you know, coming out party was so directly linked to the material Mm -hmm. so much so that when the material was seen as bad, he, it's not that he went away, but he certainly is, has never been as, as big as he was then. Um, um, I, speaking of Oscars, I found an example that might be an older person having this. Okay. Because it's someone who didn't, at least in movies, I don't know what her life story is, didn't start acting till later. But Thelma Ritter. Oh, okay. Who didn't start showing up in movies until her late 40s, and then was nominated four years in a row. Oh, okay. Um, for um, uh, an all, all supporting roles for yeah. All About Eve, The Mating Season, With a Song in My Heart, and Pick Up on South Street. Wow. Um, and then she was nominated again twice later in her life for Pillow Talk and Birdman of Alcatraz. But it seems like she had a coming out party in her late 40s, yeah. early 50s. And along those lines, uh, Sidney Greenstreet, like he had been in theater for a long mm. time. And then at age 61, I think he was in Maltese Falcon, got nominated for that and then just acted very consistently uh, until his death. But uh, including, you know, big movies like Casablanca. Um but yeah, and I'm trying to think of like some others, some other examples of people who are not young necessarily. They're not necessarily older, uh, but I think of somebody like speaking of closer, like Clive Owen. Okay, we Clive Owen has his his corner of Hollywood. Like he acts, he's acted consistently, but like, and he'd been in stuff before Gosford Park. But I think Gosford Park introduced him to a lot of people. Croupier is where I first saw him. Yeah, and then... It was very, a very memorable... When was... What was it? Green Fingers? Yeah, I saw Green is that Fingers, it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, those those two, like, those kind of put him on the map in, in certain circles. And then he's in, you know, uh, he's part of this huge cast in Gosford Park and still right. managed to, like, get people's attention. Then you get, like, 2002, 3, 4, 5... Uh, and he starts and he's the lead of things. He gets his first his first and only nomination for closer. Uh, and then he just becomes Clive Owen. But, you know, he's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Last movie I saw him in was The Confirmation, which came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. But he works. He's been working plenty. Oh, yeah. I did see him play himself on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. Um, but do you know what he's about to be in and what I, role he's about to I play? I do. <laughs> I didn't do. know that until just now. Yeah. That he is playing Bill Clinton in the new American Crime Story series. Which I'm really intrigued by because I feel like I've seen him or heard him attempt to do accents. And Bill Clinton has a very, has a, has a very specific cadence and, and accent. so does Clive Owen. Is the and thing. So, exactly. <laughs> and I feel like the two aren't going to go together super great. Um, could be fun. It could be fun. Could be a pip. <laughs> could be a pip. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, so yeah, Clive Owen was one. Uh, Jeremy Renner was another one. And again, I don't mean to connect everything to, to Oscars, but you know, he'd been in a number of things. He kind of caught people's attention with Dahmer and then he, okay. he's nominated for the Hurt Locker and that kind of gets people's attention. He was nominated the next year for supporting actor for the town. And 
Then now, granted, he did go on to play Hawkeye not long after that, and now he—that's kind of what he's known for. But uh, but yeah, there was this moment where like it, it's almost as though people say like, "Who is this person, and where did they come from?" And then that novelty wears off, uh, and then they just become a reliable working actor. Um, yeah, I feel like Jeremy Renner. Well, this is, I guess. We're seeing now people like pay more consequences for being unpleasant people in sure. real life. And I feel like, I don't know that Jeremy Renner's like a monster or anything, but I don't think he has a great reputation for being like a particularly nice guy either. Right. And I don't, right. so I don't I, maybe that's, maybe that's why he hasn't been, I don't know what he's been in besides MCU stuff, uh, in a long time. Uh, he had an app. Did you know that? There's Wait. literally the Jeremy Renner app. Oh, this sounds familiar. Uh, what else? It's it well because because he also has like a, a music career. Oh, I forgot about Tag. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I hate that movie so much, but he's not bad in it. I didn't hate Tag. I, I don't really like it either, but I didn't hate it. I don't remember why I hated it, but I really had. I, I is that all the miscarriage jokes? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of miscarriage jokes. There are I remember a lot watching of them being jokes. like, look. I think this is funny because I'm sure me, but uh, this feels like it could rub people the wrong way. I think I, I think it just got me. I think there's just something about the ensemble. It's like I, I don't believe that they're friends. Yeah. Well, I also oh, don't okay. believe that John Hamm and Jake Johnson are the same age. <laughs> <laughs> like they're all supposed to be the same age. Jake yeah. Johnson and Jeremy Renner, I could believe. Yeah. But like John Hamm, and maybe it's because in my mind he's Don Draper and just seems older and more mature than the rest of them. But I think he's genuinely older. Um, that uh, I was just uh, did you read that uh, AV Club interview with Mike Mullaney where he talked about being unjustified and being the backstory was that he and Stephen Tobolowski went to like hmm. elementary school together and he was like. Stephen Toblowski's 15 years older than I am. Do I look like shit? Is he like, anyway, uh, Mike Laney seems like a fun guy. No, uh, Tobo just looks super young. That's yeah. all. Um, fun thing about Jerry Renner for me in terms of where I fir- what I first knew him from is an episode of Angel. Oh, okay. Where he plays an old vampire cohort of angels. And in the episode, it's in season one, and he, uh, he tries to kill like vampire you know bite and suck and kill Mm -hmm. uh angel's cop friend played by elizabeth rome oh okay who then later they played spouses in american hustle oh yeah i wonder if they talked on set of like hey remember that time i tried to bite your neck and drink your blood i imagine they probably did have that conversation (laughs) yes um i think the first thing i saw jeremy renner in that i was aware of was swat he was the villain in swat and that's not a good movie but even my friends and i were just like that guy was that guy was good. Who was that? Um, um, is Swat a bad movie? I remember liking it. You know what? I don't know if it's a bad movie or not. I didn't really like much of it, but I liked. I we all really liked him in it. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, directed by the actor Clark Johnson. Oh, from The Wire. Yeah. Five. Huh. Um, good for him, I guess. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I remember liking SWAT because uh, I guess it felt it's weird to think it was 2003, like the 90s weren't that long ago. But I guess the Matrix kind of like changed 
action movies so much yeah. that by 2003, SWAT just being like a brawny action yeah. movie felt like a throwback. It felt yeah. like a throwback to five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a few others that I can that I can think of, and again, that a lot of them are from a very specific time period, but I try to be aware of it now where I can. But uh, Paul Giamatti was a big one. Um, I mean, he was... You know, he, I remember him being, I first took note of him in The Negotiator. He was a supporting role in The Negotiator, and then he was in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. He was in private parts, obviously, yeah, that's, as, as Pig, Pig Vomit. vomit is but I hadn't first, seen that. Oh, okay. I think uh, I think of him as yeah. Pig Vomit first. Um, and he was in Man on the Moon as Bob Zamuda. Oh, that's right. Uh, but then he was in, like, American Splendor, and then Sideways came along, and there was a lot of Oscar buzz for Sideways. He wasn't nominated. He was, he was snubbed for Sideways, but... The Oscars tend to make it up to people. And so the next year he was nominated for supporting actor for Cinderella man didn't win. That was his last, uh, Oscar nomination. And then he just, and there was, and like, I remember the movie shoot Him up starring Clive Owen, um, in which he was like the villain. And that was like a fun thing. Uh, and then he just became Paul Giamatti and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, and, and I mean, he played John Adams, like he got an Emmy for that. Like he was, yeah. there was like this five year span where it's just like, we want to get, like, he has such a specific energy, which I do agree with that. He's not like just some, uh, rando or something like that. He has a very specific type. Uh, I always thought he would, he should have been, he should have played the penguin, uh, in something. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so. But now he's, you know, he's he's on that show Billions, like he pops up in a lot of things and and he's always good, but it's and I don't mean to be dismissive or reductive, but from a Hollywood standpoint, it is it's almost like we know all your tricks now. And if if you have a new trick for us as you get older, maybe when you develop some other tricks, you know what? Yeah. We'll 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 jump on you, but uh but right now we we love you. You'll keep getting work until you're until you reti- retire. But you're not what you were in, in in our eyes. I wonder if uh, if streaming services were a method of establishing legendary greatness, maybe Private Life would have gotten some more award attention for both Paul, Paul Giamatti and and Catherine Hahn. Well, I will say this: Paul Giamatti, BP uh, Award nominee for Best Actor for Private Life for Private Life. The BPs know what's going on. I agree. But, um, yeah, we, like, everyone I know post WandaVision wants to be like, oh, Catherine Hahn. She's oh, so yeah. great. We, we, all, we all knew. She's We've known yeah, for a long she's time. She's always been delightful. Um, another thing about Paul Giamatti, he did play, he hasn't played the Penguin. He did play God on an episode of Inside Amy Schumer. <laughs> all right. I'm fine with that. <laughs> he has, like, a heart-to-heart with Amy Schumer. He's like, do you remember the last time you prayed to me? And she's like, probably when my friend Tig got real sick. Medieval times, you wanted the green knight to win. <laughs> and she's like, oh, right. Thanks for coming through on that. <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah, that show, that show was funny. I know, like, Medieval it's not, times. like, cool to like any Mishumor right now. I can't tell. I can't tell what I'm supposed to like based on the internet anymore. Um, but I Why always, are we not supposed I, to like her? I don't know. I do know about, like, the uh, the, the joke thievery stuff. Oh, see, there you go. Maybe okay. that's why I can't keep track of it all. But I, yeah. I did think Inside Amy Schumer was a funny show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a couple. So far, I've, I've mostly mentioned act uh, like male actors. I do have a couple uh, female actors on here. Uh, and so one of the reasons that I wound up pitching this uh, idea 
after years of thinking about it, was a conversation that we had with Scott and Julie. I don't. I think it was on air. On air. Ugh, I think it was on the show. <laughs> um, was uh, Jennifer Lawrence? Oh yeah, she's definitely in there. And I guess Bradley Cooper too. Uh, in, in a way, had his uh, his coming out party because he got his... he also got nominated three years in a row. Am I right? Let's see. Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. American Hustle, American, American Sniper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he also, he also got nominated. I think his could still be going on because I do think A Star Is Born. Okay. Continued that not merely as far as the Oscars, but oh, now he directs and he's a lead actor who can hold his own with the very charismatic Lady Gaga. So I think he he could actually have staying power because there are people. Well, the, I think most a, of these people have staying power. That's not what. That, that's why I'm using say, the coming out party anal- analogy. I'll say like star, like star staying power. Okay. Like for example, you know, DiCaprio was a, a, a kid actor, and then you know he's in. Uh, uh, I almost said <laughs> Frame Roger Rabbit. <laughs> What's eating Gilbert? <laughs> What's eating Gilbert? Should have been. Um, but uh, you know he gets an Oscar nomination for that, and then he's in like Romeo and Juliet and Titanic, and then he's in a couple of like lesser regarded things, and then just continues working very consistently, gets nominations. His movies are do very well, um, certainly critically, and so like he he never okay. settled into like just the natural okay. flow. He is still so you, okay. a name. So I think this is where I was thinking about it differently than you. Okay. Because I was thinking that I would have, by your rules, you wouldn't count Jack Nicholson because he always... I would not. But but, but what I was saying, I guess what I was thinking about is that Jack Nicholson had been in, been working for a long time, and then I was trying to remember the movie before um, uh, Easy Rider, Head. Head, yeah. So then later, like, but then suddenly in the late 60s, he had Head and Easy Rider, um, and I've seen Easy Rider, at least I haven't seen Head, but he's like very memorable and weird and mm-hmm. that. And then suddenly he's just like he's everywhere in, in everywhere, but yeah. in everything. But you're saying he doesn't count because he didn't stop. He's still yeah. 15 years after Easy Rider, he's still uh, you know in terms of endearment and yeah. whatever. And then it's just like oh, and then he's in Witches of Eastwick. He's the, and then he plays right. the Joker. Then he's in a few good men. Like he stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I so I don't mean to suggest that these other actors don't stay. It's that they start here and then they sort of settle into just the the day to day Hollywood, okay. and then some stay up here. And so I do think that Bradley Cooper, the jury might still, still be out, but I think he's still up here. He's still a list. I guess that's a way of putting it. I feel bad <laughs> saying like B list because B list suggests like. If we cast this person, we're compromising. Like a lot of these people are still absolutely names. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's why it's such a hard thing to to talk about. But, you know, but I, I mentioned Jude Law. You knew exactly what I was talking about yeah. when I said Jude Law. Yeah. You know, he's a name that people still know. He's still a recognizable face. Him being in a movie is probably still an asset to that movie one way or another. Um, but he's not. It's not that he is not what he was, but Hollywood doesn't regard him the way that it did when he was a novelty uh, or there was a novelty to him. Um, OK. Um, well, we've talked like you mentioned, we've talked about a number of men. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's did you ever see Searching for Deborah Winger, that documentary? I did not. It's um, Deborah Winger is a good a good example. But the. 
there's, I think, probably unfortunately, a sexist reason that the, these women don't. Sure. You know, like, okay, occasionally, I mean, obviously, Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. Um, uh, and if you're Sharon Stone, you're. Uh, rightfully mad about that did you read that interview with Sharon Stone no okay we'll come back to that in a minute okay. but De- the searching for Deborah Winger documentary is about the idea that like these female actresses like they're very talented and they become hot properties while they're in their 20s yeah and then there's not a place like maybe that's what happened with Renee Zellweger because that's what happened with Deborah Winger she like went away and now yeah. Deborah Winger's like uh, I mean she's not a big star anymore but now she is what you're talking about yeah but it took her she had to completely go away she didn't get to settle in she had to completely go away yeah and then come back as an older uh, older actress um, the Sharon Stone thing I can't remember where she was who she was giving the interview uh, to but um, basically what she was saying and I think she's kind of right she was like yes we all agree Meryl Streep's great but she's not the only great actress. And the fact that everyone's mind first goes to Meryl Streep is maybe costing other actresses like a Sharon Stone type, uh, roles. <laughs> um, uh, and I really, uh, applauded her, um, candor there. I like Sharon Stone. I, I, I do too. I've, uh, I've been binging old, uh, Jiminy Glick interviews and, uh, Sharon Stone is one of them. And, uh, you know, there are certain, like he would often talk to like comedy people, but every once in a while he would talk to like a, a like a Tim Robbins or a Steven Spielberg or a Sharon Stone, like considered serious artists, uh, and they show that and they like get the joke, and she got yeah. the joke. Is she? Does she maybe count in this? This, this I think list? I think so. Yes. Yeah, because I mean she never really went away, but uh, but she was like. It's tough Hot because in the late eighties and early nineties. Yeah, because I think I, I do think it's probably different for like a young uh, a young mm-hmm. woman because often when they're young, like they're so associated with how they look and they're associated with a certain kind of sex appeal. And her especially, there is a a, a definitive sexual quality yeah. to her when she was, you know, at the height of her fame, like Basic Instinct and even something like Casino um, Sliver. Sl- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I never saw it. Neither did I. Um, but yeah, and so Philip Noyce directed Sliver. That you know what that doesn't surprise me now that I rewatched uh, Dead Calm. But um, but yeah, and you know, uh, so I'll, I'll say one actress that I think, if you'd asked me a few years ago. Uh, I'd say like, oh, absolutely. She was sort of the flavor of the month coming out party, whatever it is. But to my surprise, she has stuck around as she's gotten older. And that's Amy Adams. Um, because she is now to the, and you mean, you say to your surprise and like, a because you're used to being cynical about the industry, not yes. that you don't think she deserves to stick oh, around. No, I, yeah, yeah. I adore Amy. Adams. Yeah, she's um, great. And, and I think that she, I mean, she was in Junebug. She's marvelous in Junebug. Still probably one of my favorite performances by any actress, uh, like in a supporting role, um, in my opinion, probably should have won, but whatever, uh, that doesn't matter. And, and I think there is just, uh, but you know what, now that I think about it and I'm, I, I hope this doesn't sound like a judgment. I don't know if Hollywood ever considered her, to be like 
uh, a, a stunning Megan Fox esque uh, <laughs> beauty or something like that. I think they saw her first, like as as like an actress who is certainly attractive but sort of malleable, you know, she can be in doubt, uh, and just be, and be a nun who really, you don't, you just see her face and that's it. Um, and so I think that has maybe allowed her to start playing, you know, mom characters, uh, uh, and kind of without having, without being sort of forced to take that break, uh, so that she can come back yeah. as the mom yeah. character. That reminds me of an, I don't know why I'm thinking of inside Amy Schumer so much, but there's the episode that the sketch that Tina Fey's in when she like talks about like actresses aging out of fuckability. <laughs> yes. And she has a line. She was like, um, remember in punchline when Sally Fields was Tom Hanks romantic interest. And like two weeks later she was his mom and Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I forget about that. Um, Oh, I had. Uh, I was. What I was going to say is, I wonder. Look, the the fact that most of our examples are coming from the last thirty years probably has to do with our age and recency. Oh, bias. undoubtedly, yeah. But I do wonder if maybe it's a change in how actors think of their careers or how Hollywood treats actors. Like you're not signed to contract anymore. Right. Like maybe the reason that, like, you know. Gary Cooper never like faded into being not faded, but just like settled into being yeah. a character actress because that didn't happen back then. Like you right. were Gary Cooper and, and now like that actors have more, uh, flexibility with choosing their roles. Someone, especially, you know, a male actor with more options like uh, Russell Crowe can mm-hmm. just be like, well, my, you know, I'm not going to be this forever. I'm not going to, not everyone's going to be Jack Nicholson, but yeah. I can keep doing work that interests me. Yeah, I mean, and maybe I think, that, that those opportunities didn't exist for actors because the yeah the things with the contracts and stuff were so set in stone before. And I do think that it's within the idea of contracts, and I think at the a part of this conversation that we've already had in the past is the the concept of a movie star that a star shows up and they stay, but you also know exactly what you're getting. Like Cary Grant is amazing as, as much as I adored him. Like he never like changed that much from one character to the next. You always knew you were getting Cary Grant. And I feel like that's something you just don't get quite as much now. But it also, like I look forward, like, um, I look forward to the possibility of someday of Will Smith just being like a character actor who shows up for a few scenes in a movie. That would be, that would be cool. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I'd probably Um, see more of his movies. I haven't seen one in a, in a long time. I think the last film of his I saw was probably Suicide Squad, which he's very good in. And he's, you know, part of an ensemble. Um, right. I forgot that he was in there because I didn't see it. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what the last thing because I didn't see Gemini Man. Oh, that's right. Um, you missed him twice in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't see Bad Boys for Life. No, I didn't see Aladdin. Oh, I did see Aladdin. That's I didn't right. see okay. Bright. I didn't see Collateral Beauty or Suicide Squad. Concussion. Concussion is the last okay. movie that I saw him in. Um, did yeah. tell the truth? Did you like Concussion? Uh, no, it's okay. not good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care for it. Uh, yeah. There's, you know what? There are good things. I think like David Morse is hauntingly effective in it, uh, and then I, I like oh, a lot of the su- supporting yeah. roles. Um, yeah, it's too corny. But, uh, yeah, you know what? He's, 
he's so much better than I think anybody expected him to be in Aladdin. Like everyone just is oh, really? thinking about like, well, how could you possibly repre- replace Robin Williams? And I think he rightfully decided I'm not going to try to mm-hmm. replace him. I'm not going to do what he's doing. I'm going to do a different kind of charisma. Um, all right. We got to find one more good example to, to, to close out on. I don't okay. know if I can, uh, uh, think of one. Um, Okay. Okay, for my list. Glenn Close. Like had her 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 eighties like big like Yeah. Like uh you know Big Chill. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the yeah. natural yeah. you know and, and she was fatal attraction and uh, yeah. And then she just became a reliable like actually she still is a lead a lot, but not often not necessarily often in, in like, character roles. Yeah, not not uh yeah. these big Hollywood type movies. Um I don't know if this, I, you know what? Big Hollywood types. Uh, Hillary Swank. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, she's got two Oscars within a few years. Yeah. And, and every once in a while, there'll be something like the Homesman or something like that where people are like, oh, yeah. But she's just kind of after Million Dollar Baby, she just became a, a, a reliable working actress. Um, and that's kind of where she has stayed. Um, I have a, a, a story from um, a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, I saw Hillary Swank at the Salt Lake City Airport when I was going home from Sundance. Mm-hmm. And she was also, I think, headed out. I don't know if she was going home or she was also leaving Utah. And I remember I saw her. I was like, oh, that's Hillary Swank. I was like on the phone with my wife. Like, yeah, my flight leaves. And I was like, oh, Hillary Swank just walked by me. I guess Hillary Swank was in a movie at Sundance. Like I had no idea. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, it must've been what they had, which is a movie that I ended up seeing like a year later and really liking. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I guess that there are, I, I, I'm feeling nostalgic for, for Sundance, uh, uh-huh. after not having gone last year uh, or this year. But, um, yeah, there are so many movies at Sundance and some of them have names that that can happen that you're like, I guess Hilary Swank had a movie at Sundance. Yeah. Or there'll be movies that like come out later in the year. They get some attention. It'll be like critics at Sundance love it. And I was like, is it Sundance? I don't remember. Yeah. That happens a lot. Anyway, I think we did it. Yeah. And, and we talked about all of them. Every example you could think of. I think so. Um, but, uh, Oh shit, Walter Houston. I don't know. I had to pick somebody. I don't think that. I don't think this applies. Um, but no, I would like to uh, obviously list Fiorentino. Maybe she definitely is someone I associate with a certain time period. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So listeners, if you if you can uh, think of any, feel free to weigh in and uh, and let us know in the comments section. Yeah. Uh, other than that, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. I'm not going to say what I'm so far behind in movie reviews. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm a bad critic. Um, but things have been, uh, really piling up lately. Um, including my other podcast, the one where I met your mother. That's something I'm glad to be piling up. Uh, this week, Natalie and I, this, this is a podcast I do with my wife in which we watch, uh, an episode of friends and an episode of how I met your mother every week and talk about them. Uh, so this week we were on season one, episode 13 of both. Um, I'm not going to say the name of the friends episode cause I don't like it, but it's one where, uh, Chandler, uh, accidentally sees Rachel Topless, um, and then uh, we had a very rom-commy episode. How I Met Your Mother is a 
you know, nine year long rom-com to begin with, but a very rom-commy episode of, uh, uh, Ted meeting, a um, a cupcake baker, uh, at a wedding, which is the most rom-com like thing you could. What, out of curiosity, cause I don't remember how you've, you had, you watched every episode of how I met your mother, right? Uh, yes. Okay. I'm going to say yes. There are some, cause I, I've said that I say this on the podcast, the one I met your mother that I, there's a part like late in cause it was on nine years. There's a part late in season seven where I kind of stopped watching. Okay. And then like season nine, when I like found out season nine, okay, this is gonna be the last one. And like, it's an interesting premise, the ninth season. I don't know if you know, I'm not going to say, um, I did go back and watch important episodes, but I think there are probably some season eight episodes that I've never seen, okay. but I, I'm much more familiar with how I met your mother than my wife who has never watched any of it before. Okay, so along those lines, when you so you're going back and watching this show with someone that hasn't seen it before, which tends to when I'm watching a movie I'm familiar with and I'm watching with someone that hasn't seen it before, I am a little bit more able to sort of see it with fresh eyes. Yeah. Uh the character of Barney. Yeah. Do you do you still like the character? Do you I still, still like, like Neil Patrick Harris's performance? There yeah. are, there are there are things I mean, this is all of 15, 16 years ago. There are things that are played for laughs that wouldn't be sure now, you know, like him intentionally trying to get a girl drunk to get her to go, go home with him mm-hmm. while he's remaining sober is like, that doesn't Whoa. play. Yeah. That doesn't wow. play as funny <laughs> yeah. as, uh, as, as it, as it might have. I mean, even though not that the show like endorsed it, the show knew he was like a slime ball, but it's still yeah. like, it, it wouldn't, it would, it would have been handled in a different tone, uh, today. Um, but apparently like watching the show, cause like if you're going to compare, you can't do an easy comparison between friends characters and how many other characters. Um, but maybe the easiest one to do is Joey and Barney. They're right. both like the, the horn balls or whatever, yeah. but Joey, what I'm finding watching, cause I'm watching friends for the first time. Really? Obviously like a lot of people I've seen a number of reruns in my time, but I've never really sat down and watched friends. There's a lot of things I don't know about it. Yeah. And one of the things that surprises me is how quickly Joey's heart is established, mm-hmm. which, which is what I keep telling Natalie, like, wait, like we're going to get there with Barney. Like yeah. Barney is a person under that. There are going to be things you're going to end up liking things about him. But, uh, but over halfway through the first season, they're still not, they're not going there with, yeah. with, with, with Barney, which they, they very quickly go there with, uh, uh, with Joey. The, mm-hmm. the episode we just watched, we meet Joey's dad played by a uh, character actor, Robert Costanza, uh, oh, who yes. I of course, uh, know from you blabbed Quaid. Yeah. You blabbed about Mars. Yeah. Um, that's what I always, <laughs> and I say that on this week's episode of uh, the one where I met your mother. So that's uh, that was way more than I meant to talk about, but the one where I met your mother is available at battleshipretention.com. You can email me, at david at com, email tyler at tyler at com. follow us on twitter at davy at davy pretension at tyler pretension uh tyler do you have anything else to plug uh i do believe that by the time people are hearing this it's one of those uh i should have a review on com of uh, mondo hollywoodland which is a film that i talked about on the uh, this week's on movie the journal. movie journal yeah. a film that i recommend if you're in the right mood All right. Well, uh, until then, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.